Well, welcome. I appreciate you again for being here. And I'm looking over there, and I see Geraldine. Who's that next to you? And there's Noel back there. Hide behind somebody. Geraldine Noel, thank you. Or, uh, yeah, thank you for being here, man. It's good to see you guys. It's real good to see you. I'm going to talk to you after church. Don't leave. All right? All right. Hey, uh, we're starting this new series called Joyful, how to be full of joy from the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, brought one with you, turn to the book of Philippians. Um, it's on page 1,267, if, uh, if my Bible, if that helps you at all. Um, it's all, all the we'll look at it on the screen, but it's also on our app. So if you got that, you can follow along there. But let me just ask this question real quick. <laughs> like, what are some qualities or characteristics that are just really good to have in life? Discipline. <laughs> okay, we got two. Okay. Discipline and patience. Positive attitude. Well, we're talking about joy. Don't say that one yet. Oh my gosh, Jesus. Like that's a characteristic or a trait that it collects nuts. It's got a big bushy tail lives in trees. Jesus. It's, it's like it's, we're in church, it's got to be Jesus. Compassion, kindness, grace. Now we're getting it. Okay, so let me just ask. So if we put the word Christian in front of characters, does it change anything? What are the Christian characteristics that one should exhibit? Does it change anything or the same ones? So the same ones, godliness maybe, yeah. Well, well let, let me, let me I just suggest this. All of those characters, I agree with 100%. Faith, courage, mercy, Grace, love, patience, all that stuff, absolutely. But all those characteristics and traits are seen when you're up close with somebody. Those are characteristics that you really only see when you in, in relationship. Like it's real hard to see from a distance mercy and grace. Like you don't know if someone really has mercy and grace until you get to know them and you realize how many, you know, idiots and mean people are in their life. And then you get to see them respond with mercy and grace. You understand what I'm saying? Like it's real hard to see kindness without knowing. It's real hard to see generosity if you don't know the person. And I really, because how do you know if they're generous or not? And so most of these characteristics and traits are, are only seen and when you're up close with someone in a relationship. Now there's one trait that isn't that way. There's one trait that is seen at a distance, and you can know it even without knowing the individual, and it is this characteristic of joy. You can see that one from a distance. You can see that from afar. Now, let me just be clear about this. When I talk about joy, there's a lot of people in church, you got to be real careful. A lot of people in church say, well, okay, now, now joy is in the Bible, and happiness is of the world, and so we'll pursue joy, but not happiness. Now, now let's be smart biblically. Joy is in the Bible and happy is in the Bible. Someone, all you got to do, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. All Jesus says is happy are the happy are the happy are the. And so joy and happiness are both biblical and joy and happiness are very closely related to each other. And so we can talk about being happy and joyful and being joyful and happy. It's okay. It's okay to pursue both of those. They're not really that much different. You can see joy at a distance. You can tell when someone is happy without knowing them. It's evident when someone's walking around happy, right? Right? And actually, happiness, joy in the Bible is, get this, is very closely related to this thing we call a sense of humor. 
and it's in the Bible. Jesus had a huge sense of humor. He was hilarious. The reason why we don't ever read it that way is because we don't know what humor was like in the ancient Near East. We don't know what humor was like biblically. And so in that day, in that time, humor was expressed in the form of exaggeration. And so Jesus was hilarious. We just miss it. Like in my mind, I, I can just picture this in my head. Jesus sitting around with the fellas. He's all, you know what? Let me do it. Oh, no, hold on. Hold on. No, this is a good one. No, no, no. Listen. It is harder for a rich man <laughs> to get into heaven <laughs> than it is for a camel to go through. I have a needle. <laughs> Exaggeration. And everybody around like, ha, ha, Jesus, you are crazy, man. It cracks me up. He's like, yeah, put my finger. You know, it just, <laughs> like that's humor. It, biblically, and Jesus was so funny. And the longer I'm around church people, the more I'm convinced most of y'all need a serious dose of a sense of humor. And there are many times that I preach with a sense of humor. And I think I'm funny. And sometimes my humor offends people. Well, that's too bad for you. It's biblical. You're my Catholic joke, right? About why Catholics are thankful that the Romans crucified Jesus and the Jews and, and the Jews didn't stone him. See, because it's because the Romans crucified Jesus, and so Catholics can do this. Otherwise, they'd have to do this. That's funny, and it's biblical. I'm just saying that. Here's what I know about, about the past few years. Uh, church has been anything but happy. And Christians have been anything but joyful. And church people have lost their sense of humor. And it's past, especially in this past few years, most church people's attitudes have been no different than those who never go to church. They've been just as angry, just as disappointed, just as bitter, just as disgruntled. Here's an idea. You just gauge yourself. The less joyful and less humor you have, the more days off of work you're going to need. And some of you are like, man, I just need a day off. I just can't. Some freaking people I work, I just can't. The less joy you have, less joy, the more days off you think you're going to need because you think that's going to be the solution. So the book of Philippians, it's the book of joy. Four chapters, 16 references to joy and rejoicing. Let me give you a little background on the book of Philippians, the book of joy. The book of Philippians was not written on a beach at a timeshare. The book of Philippians was written from a jail cell. And so it's a perfect book for us to study. Because there's been a lot of people who are coming out of where they have been feeling as though 
They've been locked up in 2020 and 2021. They've been shut down. They've lost their freedoms. They've lost opportunities. I, 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 I think one of the things I've heard most over the past couple years, and I understand, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying that one of the things I've heard most over the past couple years is how frustrated parents are at the loss of opportunities that their kids have had throughout COVID. And that has been the prevailing concern and upset. And because we feel as though I've been locked up, I've been shut down, I lost opportunities, lost freedom. Well, Paul was actually locked up. And Paul actually lost freedom. And Paul actually had no opportunity. And somehow he was able to respond with joy and happiness. I think we can learn a lot from him. Right? So Paul, in writing the letter to the Philippians, he was writing to the people at Philippi. That's how we get the word Philippians, because it was the people who were living at Philippi. But Paul wasn't in Philippi when he wrote to the Philippians. He was actually in Rome. But he knew the people of Philippi, known as the Philippians, because he had been there years earlier. So to understand what's going on in the book of Philippians, we first have to go read of his, the historical account of his trip to Philippi. And we learn about that in Acts chapter 16. So to understand what's going on in Philippians, you've got to understand what's going on in Acts chapter 16. And so I will help you under, like, make that transition. So, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Like, Paul gets this dream and makes a decision to follow. And we talked this whole last series about how God gives us a dream, and then we make a decision to follow that dream, and then all of a sudden we hit delays, difficulties, and dead ends before God ever brings us to deliverance. And so Paul gets this dream, and he makes this decision to go, and then in verse 6, we read in the Bible, click that slide for me, why isn't this working? Click, the, click my slide, slider. I hit a delay, and now it's a difficulty, and pretty soon I'm going to be a dead end in this message. Hey, watch this. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God and prophecy. So he gets this dream to go to Asia and, and preach the gospel. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit kept him from going. Have you ever felt like you're doing what God wants you to do and all you do is hit dead end after dead end? Well, they knew. Kept by the Holy Spirit. When they came to the board of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Again, another dead end. Like God, we're doing, like we're go, we're said, yeah, and then dead end after dead end after dead end. And so Paul's sitting there literally with his back to the sea, looking at this land that he wanted, and he's like, what do you want from me? Has God ever closed the doors on your dreams? Has God ever redirected or re-clarified what he's, what his future for you? You know how God redirects and clarifies his directions by closed doors. Everybody says, well, it's an open window. God, I don't know. Sometimes he just slams the door in your face and you've got no other choice but to do something different. And both of them are equally of him. So the Holy Spirit and then the Spirit of Jesus had just slammed the door in Paul's face multiple times. 
Why? So that God could redirect him. And so he's standing with his back towards the sea, the Mediterranean, and he's looking out. And and all of a sudden, they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas during the night. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over here and help us. The door's been shut. The door's been shut. The door's been shut. Why? Because we need you over here. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready uh, at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. When God wants to redirect us, he closes doors and closes oftentimes. And we run up against delays, difficulties, and dead ends after dead end after dead end. And as much as we want to do, God says, no, 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 I got something. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our attitude when God closes doors on our dream? I mean, this is where Paul was. In, this is how we got to Philippi, because God had closed doors and closed doors and closed doors. And he's going to respond, not with bitterness and not with anger and not with a great, you know, begrudging it. He's going to respond with a whole bunch of joy. So watch how this goes down. He goes to Acts. This guy calls him over. He gets this vision. This man come over to Macedonia. And in Macedonia is this place called Philippi. And he gets to Philippi. And he's got this vision of this man who called him. And he shows up at Philippi. And he, there's no men around. He goes to the place where they're praying. And all he finds is a bunch of women praying. And they were praying to God, but they didn't know Jesus. And he, he meets this one lady named Lydia. And Lydia accepts his message. And Lydia was, was rolling in it, man. I mean, she was wealthy. And she accepts the message and starts supporting Paul in his ministry in huge ways. And Paul would have never experienced the blessing that came through Lydia by God's hand had God not taken to dead end after dead end after dead end. See, God's deliverance is always better than our plans. And so Paul and Silas are in Philippi. And they're doing ministry together. Here's a, here's a, a, a lesson for you, okay? Don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. It, it's, it's meant to be done in relationships with people. So Paul has Silas, Silas had Paul. And in, while they're in Philippi, they meet this, this, this girl who's enslaved by these men. And this girl has this, has this demonic spirit that allows her to tell the future. And, and, and by this, this occultic practice, these guys are just making money hand over fist off this poor girl. And she's in bondage by them. And, and, and Paul and Silas see this. They see what's going on. And Paul casts this demonic spirit out of her so she can no longer tell the future anymore. And these guys lose their minds because now they lost their money. And so they charge Paul and Silas with civil unrest, and they have them arrested and beaten and thrown in jail. And it's in Philippi that these guys are in jail, Paul and Silas. And at midnight one night, they're singing songs. And uh, they're not singing like Leonard Skinner stuff. Like they're singing like church stuff, like, I don't know, Hillsong or uh, Mav City or something. You know, they're just singing those worship songs. And in the middle of that, this earthquake happens. And it's such a violent earthquake that it breaks the doors open. They fall off. And the jailer realizes what's going on. He runs in. And, and, and Roman law demanded that the jailer's responsible for the sentence and the life of his prisoner. So if one escapes, he has to, he has to fulfill that sentence. And so he's thinking, man, there's no way out of this. I'm better off dead. So he pulls out his sword to off himself. And out of the darkness, he hears Paul's voice. Hey, we're all here. Don't do something stupid right now. 
Here's a lesson. I just thought of this. Never make a permanent decision on a temporary problem. You understand what I'm saying? One of you need to hear that. I don't know who needs to have Some of you need to hear that. Don't make a temporary decision based off a temporary crisis. And so he's going to kill himself. They're like, no, no, hey, we're here, we're here, we're here. It, it doesn't surprise me that Paul and Silas chose to stay in jail. They're, they're that kind of integrity. They're not going to make an excuse to cop out. Like, God, like the doors flew, but God didn't say leave, so they stayed. But that doesn't surprise me so much. I, I, could, I could see them making a, making a case for why they would stay. What floors me is that all the other prisoners stayed too. <laughs> they all stay. And so this jailer's like, what are you guys? And so Paul has a chance to explain to someone in his huddle who Jesus is. And this jailer accepts Christ, takes Paul and Silas to his house, introduces them to his family, and his family to Christ. And that was the beginning of the first church in Europe. It was just amazing. So that's Paul's history in Philippi. And so now he's writing back to that church, and we have it in our Bible called the book of Philippians, but this time he's not in jail in Philippi, he's in jail in Rome, and he writes back to the church in Philippi. So just put yourself in their minds for a moment. The people in Philippi hear that Paul is in jail in Rome, what's probably going through their heads about what's going to happen to Paul? They're not thinking he's going to die. What has been Paul's track record every time he's been in jail? He gets out. God always gets him out. Right? Every time he's in trouble, God does something crazy and delivers him. Just like you and me. Every time we run into a dead end, we all start thinking, oh, God's going to handle this. You're going to get me out, right? Don't spiritualize them more than you spiritualize yourself. They're probably thinking, huh, this is going to be fun. I heard one bald preacher say one time that God doesn't do the same thing in the exact same way every time. Like he always changes how he does, but he always delivers. I heard a bald guy say that once. I bet that's going to happen with Paul. And I guarantee you, at some point, Paul's probably thinking initially, it ain't nothing but a little bit of time. I remember the time with the earthquake. That was crazy. And then Paul sits. And sits and sits in jail. And they begin to realize this situation ain't changing. I'm probably not getting out this time. In fact, this is probably this jail incarceration in Rome that led to his beheading in Rome. And it starts to click in his head. Huh? Maybe this one isn't going to turn out in my deliverance like I thought it was. What, what, what happens, how do we respond when we realize, huh, this probably isn't changing. This dead end isn't going anywhere. What would yours and my correspondence have been like had we been in Paul's shoes in jail? Writing to this, hey guys, listen, I can't see it. Like, keep praying, man. Get your little prayer circle together. Like, tell the church, have a prayer shirt, get me out, raise some money. You know, y'all got to know some good lawyers. Like, I, I wonder, I just wonder how Paul would have handled COVID. What his attitude would have been like. 
right? So that's all set up for this meal that is Philippians. That's his experience in Philippi. And now he's in jail, or yeah, uh, now he's in jail in Rome writing to that church in, in Philippi. So let me just give you the breakdown of the book real quick, just a little Bible knowledge, all right? You ready for a little bit of Bible knowledge on how the book's put together? So chapter one, it's all about joy in living. And chapter two is all about joy in serving. And chapter three is all about joy in sharing. And chapter four is all about joy in resting. It's all about joy in living, serving, sharing, and resting. And the reason why Paul can say that to have joy in living is because Christ, and Christ is our life. And the reason he can say to have joy in service is because Christ is our model. He didn't come to serve, but to be served, or he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. He's our model. So there's great joy in serving. And the reason he can say there's joy in sharing is because Christ is my goal. Like he shared his life, he shared the kingdom, he just gave and gave and gave. God so much, loved so much that he gave. And the reason he can say there's joy in resting because Christ is my contentment. Paul will say in chapter 4, I've learned the secret of being content with little or much. And so I want, us, I want us to get right up front here that this whole idea of joy is contingent upon a relationship with Jesus. It's not contingent upon my circumstances. And that's one reason why the past few years have been so difficult for so many because joy and happiness, we didn't realize it, but it was revealed to us that our happiness and joy was contingent upon the circumstances we were living in. Do you understand? When joy and happiness are based on my circumstances, I can plan on not being happy. And you too. God gave me this little, I got my, my prayer list that I go through every day, and he gave me this one little sentence to add to it. Because he knew, he knows me really well. And, and he said, Carl, I want you to start praying this over yourself. And the prayer he gave me is this. You, God, know all my desires, and I leave those to you. Give me joy in your presence and in their absence. You, God, know all my desires, and I leave those to you. Give me joy in your presence and in their absence. Do you understand? And that's one reason there has been no difference in the attitude with church people and non-church people. Because so many's joy and happiness... has been in their desires, and not in Christ. I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus didn't change through COVID. And Jesus didn't change at the election. And Jesus didn't change on January 6th. Jesus didn't change on January 7th. Jesus didn't change. And it's only those who have... A relationship through faith in Jesus again experience this type of so let's get into Philippians. Let me just pull out a couple couple uh, verses here. Let me just unpack this a little bit. So verse three uh, and 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 four and five. Paul says, "I thank my God every time I remember y'all." 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. Remember what, what went down in Philippi when I was there? Remember that? That was some crazy. And I thank God every time I think, well, I thank God I was with you. I thank God like, like for Lydia. I thank God for all the support. I thank God for your partnership. I thank God because I remember the jail cell and I remember the jailer and I remember going to his house. I remember how you all part. I thank God for your part. A pastor's heart is thankful for his people when his people are in partnership with him. Have you ever heard of type 2 fun? You ever heard of that? Yeah, like, no, I heard type 2 diabetes, not type 2 fun. No, type 2 fun. Type 2 fun is this. Type 2 fun is different from type 1. Type 1 fun is like we went to, you know, a birthday party and had a good cake. It was like, you know, a swim party. It was just type 1 fun. Type 2 fun is doing hard things that others don't want to do with people you love. That's type two fun. Doing hard things that others don't want to do with people you love. And Paul's saying, every time I think of you, I thank God because you do type two fun with me. You're partners with me in this tough work, man. And this is good stuff. And every time I think of you, I think, man, type two fun. We work alongside each other. You work alongside me, you just don't walk in and walk out. Like you support the work that we're doing together. You just don't come to get something. Like we're in this together, it's type two fun. He says, I think, here's the key. You want to know one of the keys to being joyful? Stay around people who do type two fun with you. I don't know what that symbol is there. It's supposed to be a two. Stay around people who do type two fun with you. The problem is we get around people who do type one fun. Oh, it's a great barbecue. We had some good drinks and we hung out a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's done. It's like, well, well that's just so, and nothing wrong. It's just so, it's just shallow. Like it's whatever. It's fine. It's good. That's, that's okay. But, but if you never get to the type two stuff, stay around people who do type two stuff, type two fun. People who always have an issue, man, don't get too invested in their life. They just they just rob your joy. They're no fun. Philippians 1. Stay around people who do type 2 fun. They'll make your life joyful. Verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in your care and on completion until the day Christ Jesus. This, will, this should make every parent and every grandparent's heart happy who's had a child or a grandkid walk away from Christ. Because what the Bible says, and I'm confident that the one who started the good work will be faithful to complete the good work. Here's what you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you got a kid or a grandchild who had just gotten dumb and walked away. If you know that you know that they had an authentic experience of Christ, once that happens, God is then responsible for the completion of it. You're not. God is responsible, and he will complete it. That and that alone ought to make a mommy's heart and a daddy's heart and a granddaddy and a grandmommy's heart happy. You understand? That's how Paul starts this letter. And then he gets into it. Verses 12, 13, 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me, all this that's happened 
this jail thing, this incarceration, the taking of my liberty, the taking of my freedom, the bondage that I'm in, all that's happened has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul understands all this has happened so that my huddle, which God has changed now, because now it used to be people outside, now it's jailers inside. No, so my huddle can hear about Jesus. Look at what he says. Verse, just understand here. I want you to know all this that has happened has served the advance of the gospel. All the dead ends, all the loss of freedoms, all the jail has served for one purpose, that the gospel has advanced in my huddle. I just wonder how many of us can say that all these dead ends I've had in life, everything that we missed out on in 2020 and 2021, everything bad that has happened even this year, it, it, it's all good because the gospel has advanced in my huddle. I wonder how many of us could say that. All the crap we've been through in the past couple of years, my huddle knows more about Jesus now from my life than they did before this whole thing started. That's what Paul's saying. It's crazy. Look at him. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole what? Yeah, he's not saying it's become clear to my Bible study group. It's become clear to my friends. Through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains because of Christ. He said, like my huddle, God, God put me in a dead end to change my huddle because there were other people that needed to hear about him. And it's all good. Do you see how unbreakable this man is? As a result, because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel. Now, Paul's in jail because he dared all the more to proclaim the gospel. And those who are watching, they don't say this. Okay, if Paul was declaring the gospel and got in jail, I'm not going to do that. That's not what they say. They say if he declared it that vehemently, man, I'm going to be even more like his... His joy and his strength encourage other people to be even more joyful in strength. This kind of faith in the Bible is so radically different than religion is today. See, our response to difficulty, you know what our response ought to be to difficulties at dead ends? Do you want to know what it is? What our response has to be? Do you want to know? Be strong in the joy of the Lord. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. Psalm 118.14, the joy of the Lord is my strength. My strength comes from this joy that's in the Lord. My strength, and it doesn't come from my freedoms and liberties and all my job and all that. My strength comes because there's this abiding joy that's in the Lord. Can you have joy if you're not feeling happy? Absolutely. Pastor John Jenkins says this, the joy of the Lord is the bubbling up of contentment that we feel from being connected to God. It's not contingent upon enjoyable circumstances. There's this issue of contentment. Now, let me explain this to you. Don't misunderstand joy with appearance. Now, the heart that's joyful and happy can have a smile on its face. 
But just because there's a smile on a face doesn't mean there's joy and happiness. So uh, joy is not necessarily a smile on the face as much as a contentment of the heart and the refusal to be offended. If you just refuse to be offended, you're going to be pretty content. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to be pretty content. You just can't offend me. And I'm not, I'm not, even if you're offensive, I'm going to choose not to be offended. It's this supernatural joy that's found only in the connection with Jesus that gives us calm in the midst of hell and a cheerfulness when life is not cheery. And it stems from a submission to the sovereignty of God that we talked about. That's why I went through that whole last series. And that is what people can see from a distance. See, Jesus is Paul's strength so much so that while he's in dead ends, he doesn't need other people to strengthen him. His joy in the Lord is, and his strength is so strong, so much so, that even in his dead ends, he's still the source of strength for others. And isn't it that kind of joy that the world needs? And that our own families need? And so I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. I know what time it is. It's Father's Day. You guys are so good for being here and for sitting through this on Father's Day. I know some of you are thinking, dude, I got a barbecue I got to get to. Because let's be real, right? Like on Mother's Day, dad, you barbecue, right? Because it's Mother's Day. And on Father's Day, dad, you barbecue. A couple of you are different. You know, you might have a real special one that will barbecue for you. But, you know, we, we, we got to get to it. So. I understand that, so thank you for just being present. I got one little thing of notes here, then I'm done. So watch this. So for Paul, joy comes from keeping the main thing the main thing. He doesn't get confused on lesser things. Now it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. He's like, look, let's just be real about church, right? He said, you know, you, the most insecure people in the world are pastors. I'm going to tell you that right now. The most insecure people in the world. Most pastors are so fearful of, of, of losing their people to another church. So insecure. Uh, and, and Paul says, some, there are some people preaching Jesus out of envy and rivalry. Like they don't like my ministry. And they see themselves as rivals with me. Like they won't. And he says, but others do it out of goodwill. Like they really love the kingdom. The latter do so out of love and knowing that I'm put here in the defense of the gospel. So they, they get it. Others, they see themselves as rivals in envy. So when I'm out, they kind of swoop in because they see people that they can get to their church and maybe get more money out of them. Like, that's just how it goes. He said the former, the envy and rival, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm out of the game for a little while. They're just, do you know that there's some mean people in church? And there's some mean pastors that just are out to get Paul's attitude? Who cares? What's it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I'm good. I'm happy. I rejoice. Like, who cares? In this world of tribalism with us versus them, this is so transformative. As long as the main thing is the main thing, who cares about the motive? 
This is why, I want you to know, this is why Flipside will plant churches anywhere without our flag flying over them. You don't got to put the Flipside flag over them. As long as it's kingdom. This is why I offer to coach planters who are planting here in the ranchos, who want to plant in, in, in Riverstone, offer to coach them and help them. I'll pay for stuff for them. I'll pay for training for them. And that has nothing to do with Flipside. Right next door. The crazy thing is, most pastors, I tell you, they're so insecure. They're so tied to their tribe and their flag that they'll never take advantage of it. It just kills me. Like, I don't care whose tribal flag's flying over, as long as it's Jesus. You know why we miss joy? Because we miss joy because we make lesser things main things. So watch this. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm good either way. If I go on living in the body, it'll mean good, good stuff for you. So what do I choose? I don't know. Live or die? I'm good. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart means I, I wish I were dead so I could go to heaven, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain here. So whatever, I'm good. Do you notice the difference in the Christian mindset? If I live, I'm going to work my tail off for you. We're going to have some good type two fun. And if I die sooner than later, that's even better. I'm good either way. What, what a profound difference. Whatever happens. This is the word for those who claim to follow Christ. This is Paul's word for us. This is Paul's word for me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, live the gospel that you say you believe in. That's what he's saying. He said, don't you talk about the God of peace and live with worry. Don't you talk about a sovereign God, then question his sovereign hand. Don't you talk about a God of forgiveness and then live with unforgiveness in your heart. Don't you talk about a God of relationship and live with enemies. See, here's what happens. We live with joy. It comes from living with the gospel we say we believe in. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't made this decision, let, let, me just, let me just address you for a minute. Wouldn't it be nice if Christians lived this way? Like, if you're not a Christian, I get it. And I'm asking, wouldn't it be great if Christians lived this way? See, we know we should. We just get sidetracked a lot. A lot. So dads, Father's Day, good on you for being here. This is our one admonition for the day. At home, live the gospel you say you believe in at church, right? So the crux of the whole thing. Come up here, Jared. The crux of the whole thing. For he has been granted. This is like he's wrapping it up here, this chapter one. Want to talk about joy? It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, you finish that sentence. It's been granted to you on behalf of Jesus, not just to believe in him. It's been granted to you to suffer for him. Why? Because God likes martyrs? No. It's been granted to us to suffer for Jesus. Now, if you're not following Jesus, I want you to be aware of what you're called to if you choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to be real open. 
Part of our call is to suffer for him. Why? Suffer for, perhaps, in order to have an opportunity to show your huddle what joy is. Perhaps you're called to suffer. So you'll have an opportunity to show your huddle what joy is in a relationship with Jesus. Just consider if the delays of your dreams, if the difficulties you're facing, if the dead ends that you're staring at aren't simply hassles to you accomplishing, just imagine for a moment if perhaps the delays, difficulties, and dead ends are so that you suffer. Why? Because suffering allows us the opportunity to show our huddle what joy is. And then think for a moment, all the suffering that we've been through in the past three years, has our huddle really seen from us because of our suffering what joy really is? Or have we lived in this echo chamber that has repeated to us everything we've said about how bad everything is? With that understanding, even of suffering, we can have joy in the midst of delays, joy in the midst of difficulties, and joy even looking at dead ends. See, friends, joy is not about a how-to. Don't ever do a how-to be joyful deal. Because joy is not a how-to, it's a who. And when we keep the who the main thing, and we keep the who, the main thing in front of our huddle, joy is not far behind. Do you understand? Does it make sense? So, this joy thing, it comes when it's all about him, not about me. And this is why we pray. God, you know my desires. I leave those to you. Give me joy in your presence, even in their absence. Right? God, you know my desires, and I leave those to you. Give me joy in your presence and in their absence. God, you know my desires, and I leave those to you. Give me joy in your presence and even in their absence. You want to pray with me? God, I thank you for your relentless love that continues to pursue us. Even when our perspective, we don't seem like we're worthy of pursuit. I think that your love is so profound and so relentless that you continue to chase hard after us. I think that your legs don't grow weary and your lungs never burn. I think that you chase hard after us. Father, I pray that we'd allow ourselves to be caught by you and that the joy that is in you would become our strength. Father, you know our desires, and we leave those to you. Give us joy in your presence and in their absence. I'd encourage you in this moment, church, if you want to find joy, even if you haven't found Jesus yet, to make that your prayer. God, you know my desires, and I'm going to leave those to you. Give me joy in your presence and in their absence. God, you know my desires, and I leave those to you. Give me joy in your presence, and in their absence. God, you know my desires. 
And I leave those to you. Give me joy in your presence and in their absence. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray, man. Listen, I want you to do something if you choose to. For the next three days, go back and read Philippians 1. And then for the next three days after that, go and read Philippians 2 and get ready for next week. Deal? Deal. I love you. Let's sing.